When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Rue's Kitchen. I'm your host, Jason Madison, alongside my co-hosts, Bethany Anderson and Anthony Mays. Welcome, guys. What's good? Oh, I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> we got episode three, Ruminations, another uh, Ruism. Big <laughs> and little bullies. Yeah, we uh, we start off with mad shot. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with this show and male nudity? Is it just an HBO? It's an thing? HBO thing, it's man. An HBO thing, right? It's yeah. an HBO thing, yeah. and is it in the contract? It's not is like it? they shy away from showing off lady parts as well, but there's definitely been an overcorrection in terms <laughs> yeah. of equality. We need to show more male asses and dicks. Yeah, they they gave it to us a plenty in episode three. Jesus. I'm with it. <laughs> <laughs> this is almost as as much as the uh, the Nate episode in season one, where Nate is walking through the locker room and it's literally like twenty dicks on screen at once. Yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> but something about the being a high school show is the wrinkle that makes it a little strange to see so much dong. Right. Like, These are all under minors, right? <laughs> theoretically, obviously yeah. they're not in the yeah. casting call, but I did like how this prequel start the episode with the flashback thing just allow them to cast basically a whole new slate of hotties Mm -hmm. bring in some new hot dudes bring in some new hot girls for whatever reason yeah hot girls are just watching homoerotic wrestling practice at this high school in the past it was totally in line with what Euphoria likes to do. And now the internet's all ablaze with their new crush, Young Cal. <laughs> What's next for Young Cal? Who's hotter in the streets right now than Young Cal? I mean, <laughs> yeah, he had, he had himself a, you know, a nice looking chick, but he was looking at, at his homeboy and he, uh, he was having some issues getting up, getting up off the mat, so to speak, when his dad came in the room. That was it. Like, <laughs> like, get up. Yeah. But his dad knew. He's like, get your ass up. I know what's going on. Yeah. But nothing was even going on at that time. I thought that was a little underdeveloped, the clear daddy issues that Cal had himself. I don't know if we'll ever get into that. I don't think that we've met Nate's granddad in the present timeline. Yeah. But they did a good job of showing the experimentation and just like, the lack of clarity for where Cal lands on the sexuality spectrum. And then his whole life, before he has the chance to actually discover it and figure it out, he's got a kid. Yeah. yeah. It was abrupt. So I have a question. Uh, watching that, I guess I like to call it a short. It was really, it was really cool. Sure, yeah. Is it 
like a white parent thing where you allow your kids to have sex in the house? I had the same exact conversation <laughs> with my girl because we, we watched, uh, I said I said the same thing to her because I was like, did your parents let you fuck in the house when you were in high school? Like, and she was like, no. And I was like, that's a white people thing, right? She's like, yeah. And I was like, because it also happens on uh, the Sex in the City remake. I don't know if you guys are watching. Uh, Haven't yet. Just like that. But Miranda's kid, she Brady. has uh, yeah, she has a son who is in a relationship with a girl and Miranda's getting, Miranda has a drinking problem on the show. She's going through Amazon boxes. She sent herself a book about how to quit like a woman. She thinks it was Charlotte. But in the mix of, of that, she discovers her son's girlfriend's Lou, like Astro Guy. Oh. It's like, oh, uh, here's your Astro Guy. And they're just like, okay. And they're like, you know, just. Yeah, I. <laughs> I was just really taken aback because it was two scenes in this episode where you just have like clear fucking through, you know, in the house and the parents are just like, "Eh, it's all good. And the mom, especially, she was just like looking up like at the roof. Like what? Like you wanted to go back to being in high school. Yeah. She missed it. (laughs) Yeah, like she didn't. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe if you had sex in high school in the house, then you let your kids have sex in the house, and it's just kind of a trickle down effect like that. Yeah, yeah. And I was also trying to figure out, you know, when Nate was, you know, messing with Cassie upstairs, and they're, you know, kind of reminiscing. But at the same time, like, what could Cal really say? Because he feels like Nate has something over him. So it's not like he could really discipline him in the way that he maybe would want to. Right. Yeah. Because Nate would, like, you know, blow the whistle. I feel like the mom should have knocked on the door and said, keep it down in there or maybe offered them some kind of dessert or something. Mm. <laughs> yeah, dessert? <laughs> what dessert do you bring two horny teenagers that have been fucking really loudly in your house? Maybe a nice sorbet? Tiramisu? Mm. Some yeah. lady fingers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> nice lemon bar? I don't know. <laughs> I think that once again, it's kind of an HBO thing, but yep. I do do think for that specific scene with Nate's parents, that's just a callback to the opening sex montage they have. Yeah, yeah. Which is not just in the house, it's literally everywhere. They're just fucking all over the place. But I want to get to the point, which is that you guys are saying this is an absolute no in your houses growing up. This was just not allowed. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. No, I, I have like a, a pretty famous moment in my life where my mom walked in on me when I was 16. And you're yeah. still breathing? Yeah, no, it was it was bad. I'm still like permanently scarred from this. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, no, it definitely was not allowed in my household at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I've never had a, a moment like that. But here I am, a mom to a little boy. And, you know, one day gonna at least have to have a conversation about what is appropriate to do in this house and what's not (laughs) yeah my parents weren't having that conversation I guess they should have but I mean I knew that it wasn't gonna be (laughs) looked upon favorably I was also skipping school at the same time it was was mid-afternoon oh Um, wait (laughs) okay so I actually kind of have a a story similar um so it was we had a um a teacher's work day. So the teachers had school, but the students were to stay home. And I was a freshman and there was a junior that I had a crush on. And um, he came over to bring me breakfast, but he came in the front door, but decided to leave the back door. 
And mm. so my neighbor, who was a good friend of my mom's, was like, it's a boy that's been over at your house <laughs> yeah. for like a few hours now. Yeah. And my mom, she got off work and came home. And I was like, no, he literally just brought me breakfast. It wasn't anything like that. But breakfast that let me careful. know. Yeah. No, it was really <laughs> He yeah. bought me some Bojangles. Shout out yeah. to North Carolina. <laughs> he brought me some some breakfast and and he left. And I got in so much trouble for something that didn't even happen. Damn. Yeah. Like his 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 parents end up getting a phone call from my dad. Oh. Like it was a so really how, bad how, how did they how did your dad get the number from you? Um, so the guy that brought me breakfast, his dad owned like a really big lawn company. And mm. so his number was on trucks all oh, over the place. Wow. And I was like, oh, I can get his number. No problem. Oh. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Man, parents have such like quick and easy access to stuff like that. That's why I was curious because they could always get somebody's number. Like, how do you, I'm going to call down there. How? How? But How? They, <laughs> but they do. They, they find do. a way every yeah. single time. Yeah, they yeah. do. Um, <laughs> that ain't I, popping off in the Anderson household. No, not happening. I, um, <laughs> I like. I really like the style of this episode. There was like three uh, moments that really like jumped out to me as far as the stylized just aspect of the episode. Obviously, Rue's choreographed dance. You know, basically opens the episode after Cal's. Uh, I thought right. it was amazing. Uh, when she throws the Pop-Tarts in the uh, toaster oven, which I don't know if that was movie magic or if she got that right on the 16th take. I don't know how they did that, but it was dope. <laughs> and, you know, that kind of kicks everything off, which leads to the second stylized scene that I really liked, which was her, um, not PowerPoint presentation, but her slide presentation about uh, how to hide being a relapsed addict. Yeah, how to gaslight. Yeah, how to gaslight. <laughs> Uh, which I thought was really good. And then uh, the third, and I think my favorite part of the episode, well, my favorite part of the episode was the Fez and Cow scene, but we could talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. the other part was uh, Lexi and the play and the way that they uh, shot that, I thought was was really cool, how they have her break the scene and turn into the director and just all the little things that they threw in there, I thought was really cool and, and adds to the entertainment value and the and the, the enjoyment of the show. Yeah, this show doesn't really follow any conventional storytelling rules. At We've all. Talked about the omniscient narrator stuff and the PowerPoint presentation in the class that they did with the dick pics <laughs> last year. And I love how there was still a slide from the dick pic presentation and this year's yeah. presentation. It's also kind of like a fight club moment where they're just sliding in more dicks for us. Yeah, very Tyler Durden. <laughs> no. that, that particular image was very reminiscent of... Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. And when Lexi starts walking around the set, it was freaking me out because... They just turned her into Max Fisher from Rushmore all of a sudden. It's, right, right. She's this whirling dervish of directing and everybody asking her questions and Rue's late. Oh, you know, that's so annoying. And she's walking through the set. And that was hopefully you something know, they're going to go back to when they actually do the play. Yeah. I, yeah. You know what it really reminded me of? Did you guys watch WandaVision? Mm -hmm. yeah, I love WandaVision. And like, I love, I fell in love with that show last year. It was just so incredible. And it really made me kind of put a correlation there with um, how when people are going through a traumatic situation, they kind of tune out or they, yeah. they disassociate. Yeah. And they 
They go to things that makes them feel comfortable. This is why a lot of people listen to old music. They watch old movies, things that make them feel good, that makes them feel comfortable because they know what's going to happen. They're not, you know, so anxious about what's what's to come. And with like how Wanda, she created this whole universe, this whole town and, you know, made sitcoms out of it because that's what she, you know, finds comfort in. Like uh, season one, Rue was binging uh, Love Island or whatever show it was. Mm -hmm. It's like you just have this comfortability in just binging something and being a part of like you're kind of a part of the production. And with Lexi, her way of dealing with the drama in her life was to kind of like sit back and just take everything in. And I kind of have like a prediction about what Lexi's play is going to do for this show and the rest of this season. I'm oh, save, B, that for later. B, save that for our crystal ball segment later. B's <laughs> crystal ball. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, I love Lexi's character development right there. You know, it's yeah. kind of hyper accelerated, right? She's like, Oh, all like all of a sudden she's this great writer and knows what to do and how to, you know, she's got all these people trying to be in the play, you know, like all this stuff, you know, Ethan got the part, by the way, congratulations to him. Cat <laughs> oh. doesn't really seem too happy for him, if you ask yeah. me. Yeah, she's like, trouble. oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. sure, right. great. Um, but yeah, I, I love. I think I'm starting to like Lexi as a character more. You know, like obviously we like Fez to see them together, th- them developing her on her own and having personality and ideas and all this um, is really cool. So yeah, I hope this turns into something that is good for her. Yeah, maybe illuminate some other things about other characters later in the season if the play comes to fruition. And you can't help but think of her father, Judd Apatow, and how right. this is basically turning her into her <laughs> own little production house. Right, right. Apatow Productions. But I like that. I like plays in shows. Yeah. I think it's a great device. They did a pretty hilarious show in the show Sex Education, where one of the characters writes this kind of fantastical alien porn, like tentacle porn, space shit, and they do her version of Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) And it's completely ridiculous. So I'm curious to see what Sam Levinson does with the high school play. I'm sure it'll be good. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Um, But we we got ourselves a love triangle here, guys. Uh, we, oh. we might have two. Might have, <laughs> we had a lot happening. Might have a triangle of love triangles soon, if you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying. Yeah. Um, depending, depending on what Fez and Faye want to do. No. Um, oh, my, yeah. oh, my She's God. She's still around, man. Yeah. Get Why? Why is she still there? But yeah. Yeah. No, obviously, we got uh, Elliot, Jules, and Rue, you know, all playing Dosi do right now. Another interesting thing about the show, aside from the love triangle thing, there was two other scenes like there was a scene that felt real but was fake uh and there was a scene that was fake but it felt real which was like the uh cassie in the mirror when she's talking and it's like you think it's real but it's not and then in the girl's bathroom yeah yeah and and then you're like okay but earlier when they did the scene with elliot i thought it was fake but it was real (laughs) It was I like, did too. Okay. I was, okay. Like, I was yeah. like, how did they just jump to that? And it seems so like fantastical. I'm like, oh, they're gonna the cut spotlight out of- interrogation. You mean? Yeah. I'm like, they're gonna cut out of this. It's not gonna be real. Like whatever. They're gonna skip over it. You know, figure out another way to make them relate. And they were like, no, like that actually happened in some weird way. 
What was it that seemed so unreal to you, Jason? Well, just the, the, the style of it or like what was being said? The, well, the setup, yeah, the setup and the dialogue, right? They set it up in a way where it wasn't like they were immediately going to be three of them in the same place, right? And then when they're in the same place and she has the spotlight on him, it feels like one of those rue scenes where yeah, she's or, like breaking the yeah, fourth wall. Yeah, sure, totally. But if it was that, he would have been sitting at like an interrogation table in a police headquarters and they would have been pacing around, which would have been cool. I would have been down to see that. Yeah. But, but it her, felt, Rue it felt and Lexi did me. that already. Still Rue real to me, damn it. <laughs> Rue and Lexi had a moment. Remember, they were playing, you know, detective and trying mm-hmm. to figure out what was going on with this whole Nate situation. Yeah, with totally. that. Yeah, that would have been a cool callback. But yeah, it didn't feel real. I it, it took me a minute. Like, oh, okay, so they're really having a conversation. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that kind of opened the door for them to all be honest with each other and start to, you know, um, unveil themselves to each other. And Jules is kind of, she's kind of into that, right? She's kind of into a lot of stuff. And Elliot probably reminds her of Rue a little bit. You know, like he's very like, oh, I. I do drugs, but I have this weird sense of humor and, you know, I'm sarcastic. And she's like, oh, aren't I sarcastic? Like, you know, so they have a lot of similarities. Obviously, Brew and Elliot have their thing already. So I don't know. It's like, I'm wondering, like, who's going to fuck who first now? It is looking like our girl Rue is going to get boxed out of her own loves here (laughs) because she's going to be too busy doing drugs y'all oh my but gosh let's not let's not get to the the side mission that happens later just yet i thought the the conversation was so incredibly smart and elliot comes out of nowhere to be this very insightful thoughtful character yeah and it's insane to me that neither hunter schaefer nor dominic fike have really ever acted before they're both brand new to this obviously hunter schaefer has a year of euphoria already in the tank but that's it that's all they've done and they're both fantastic and they're both hanging with zendaya it's insane yeah no dominic fick is is great as elliot and i saw a little behind the scenes with him and he's got he's got that like little brooding you know he had on like a leather jacket in the behind the scenes or whatever and he's got that kind of young Johnny Deppish kind of attitude towards him a little bit, you know? And um, I'm like, okay, he might be a little breakout star here, the way he's presenting himself in the show. He's, he's got some some swag, some charisma to him. And the conversation that they were having, I think it was like the first time we've really had someone outwardly like say that Jules is trans. Right. And I found that to be so interesting, but to also have this, to mix this in with the conversation about like, who you're attracted to and who you're not attracted to. And like, you know, your sexual history and asking about your body count. That was one. (laughs) She's not a whore. I meant slut. I meant (laughs) slut. All right. I didn't mean whore. I just said whore. I'm sorry. I meant slut. (laughs) But Jules is kind of sitting there like she's, she's kind of fucking with the whole like vibe that Ellie is just like, who gives a fuck? Who cares? It's, it's whatever. Like when he lied and said, or, I don't know if he was lying or not, but when she asked him how many men has he slept, well, he said like 43. And I was just like, yo, for him to even like say that, I thought was really funny, even though he's being sarcastic, maybe. But it was just really interesting to see 
a younger generation have this type of conversation about sex and where they stand because generations older, they're not trying to have that conversation. Talking about sex is just so like, oh my God, don't. No, and you don't you ask can that. Contrast that really easily with the entire cow open. Exactly. Yeah. He exactly. never has a single conversation that's anything like that. I guess he and his homie are talking about him having sex with the girl and things they yeah. like or things they wouldn't do. But it's it's very much wrapped in that mm-hmm. male ego fragility of like, no, I don't, you know, I'm not going to go down on her. Like, fuck right. that. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah. you, can, you take that, you put that next to everything that Elliot says, and it's, it's like it's light great. years of time change. Yeah. It's yeah. a huge contrast. Yeah. No, so, it, right. it's great to see like them have that conversation and there be no general weirdness between any of the three of them about have sexual partners, who's doing what. And, you know, it's more about their relationships with each other. And Rue like, wait, how many guys have you fucked? You know, and her thinking about that for the first time. Yeah, I thought that was a great conversation and a great way to show that young people are having these conversations without getting into the murky waters a lot of the old people you know hang-ups that they have uh with these type of conversations with this generation yeah you're exactly right which led to another conversation between jules and elliot after we see rue and jules have a you know a hot and heavy moment outside Mm -hmm. that was really interesting but before we get there, what did you guys think about the scene where Elliot stops in the middle of the street and asks Jules to, you know, for a dare for her to pee outside? Yeah, the whole dare that? sequence was interesting. I don't know. I mean, I I think I, it was interesting because I I also was like watching the show. With my girl I was like asking her, like, has Jules fully transitioned? Like, I didn't remember and all that. And I think there was maybe a little bit of ambiguity around that. I'm not sure, like maybe if it was fully addressed in the first season, but for me, like it let me know like, okay, like she still, you know, has her boy parts down there. And I think that might've been kind of the main thing. I don't know, like that, that, that everybody was kind of comfortable with that. You know, she was, he was, Rue is like, it's not like nothing weird to any of them that, you know, that's where she is. That's kind of what, the purpose of what it felt like to me and also that they're just like young and they're still kids like having fun. Yeah. That's what I was thinking was that running around and doing dares is the other side of the tremendous maturity they have when they can talk about their sexuality and, and relationships and stuff like that. It's like, they're still kids who are causing ruckus. trouble. Yeah. So I remember watching episode one of season one for the first time. And we got to the very last scene where Rue and Jules are laying in bed together and Jules is in her underwear and you can see a little something there. And I remember like, wait, let me go back and watch this entire episode because I was completely oblivious to the fact that this was a trans girl here. So I think the writers are trying to answer people's questions that they had from season one. So it's like, oh, you guys have questions about where Jules is in her transition stage? Here you go. This is what's going on. This is how she uses the bathroom. This is how, you know, she had sex or, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that was a lot, a large uh, purpose for that uh, scene. But it was, yeah, it was fun as well. It's like showing them having fun and getting out there. I wanted to definitely talk about the, the most fun I had watching this episode, which was this Fez and Cal interaction. 
Fez is the goddamn MVP, man. Yeah, he's I was just... say he's moved up the leaderboard. Like he's he's might be number one on my list in the show. I mean, he's got face tag. He can't be older than twelve. And yeah, the way that he just beat Cal with the butt of that shotgun and talked shit to him the whole time, snuffed out his bullshit. I mean, it was just great. And then obviously Fez and Cal's back and forth of him realizing all of the shit that Cal has got himself into. The Fez is like, what the fuck is up with you and your son? He called his son a bitch. <laughs> like That was the best. Yeah. He's like, why did you beat my son up? Because uh, he's a fucking bitch, dude. <laughs> and and everyone at home watching like, yeah, like, he's yeah. a fucking bitch. Keep yeah. your bitch ass bitch. son out of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but great. that whole scene I thought was really interesting because uh, before that we had the whole Nate and Cassie hookup, you know, thing happening. And, you know, they show Cal laying on the couch, kind of like daydreaming about offing himself. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, yo, you're waiting outside of a drug dealer's house. Now you're inside and you're out here spilling all of your tea. It's like you want them to kill you at this point. Like you just want them to take you out so that you don't have to do it yourself. Like someone else killed you and you weren't the one who committed suicide. Yeah. That was just so, that this man is so deranged. And, you know, I was reading some comments, you know, on Twitter about the whole cow backstory. Mm. And some people were like, yo, for a minute, I started to feel really like bad for Cal until I realized who he ends up turning into. He's a fucking menace. But at the same time, like the backstory didn't really help people to have any sort of compassion for this man at all. No. And I think everybody else's backstory was like, oh, okay, I get it now. But with him, it's like, yeah, still fuck him. Yeah. He's like Lindsey Graham. I don't feel any sympathy for you because you're a bitch as as an adult. Like you should have dealt with that shit whenever. (laughs) Like don't be taking that shit out on the rest of the world. You know what I'm saying? It was also interesting to see, like, again, like how in their discussion about what's going on with him and Jewel and Nate, like nobody said anything like too wild, but it was funny. And it wasn't making fun of Jewel, like being trans or anything like really insightful and like simple humor. You know what I'm saying? Without taking the the low road. I had uh, to pause it just so I could like (laughs) laugh. Yeah, I went back about 15 seconds and kept going, but that scene was perfect. It was. Yeah. Perfect. Do you and your son fuck people together? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you do? And Faye came in like perfectly too in that yep. scene. They had her perfectly positioned, like smoking. She's like, "What? Who's Jewel? Do I need to know?" I just love Fez calling her Jewel. Yeah. Jewel, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. That's great. It's fantastic. That's- Going back to the cow thing. I didn't feel compassion because of the young cow thing, but what I did understand was how incredibly confused he is or was in the process of him growing up and becoming the repeat rapist filmer, whatever, all the shit that he does. But B, I need to ask you, because I feel like you you did the rewatch. I feel like you're more on top of this. What is going on with the disc? Nate has the disc or who has the disc? Nate took the disc and put it in his room. Mm-hmm. When Maddie came over, it was the, it was the episode where Maddie found the dicks in Nate's phone, mm-hmm. right? And so they they had she's sex already or yeah. looking around trying to figure out what's going on. So Nate takes a shower. She's like, you know, she finds the dicks, um, <laughs> and she's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go." And on her way out, she sees the disc and she takes it. So Maddie still got it. Out, 
Maddie has it. And Nate doesn't know that Maddie has it? Nate was looking for it crazy, couldn't find it. So the only person that we know as the audience that has it would be Cassie. And it looks like she... Maddie. (laughs) Maddie, Maddie. yeah, sorry. And uh, she has like the external hard drive, this Mm -hmm. hard drive that she put it into, which I thought was really funny because like our laptops don't have disk drives anymore. You know, we grew up in the age where you could just pop a disk in, burn CDs, whatever. But, you know, she has an external drive. She put it in. I'm not sure if she watched it or she copied it or what Mm -hmm. happened, but she has it. Because Nate used the absence of the disc as a way to flip the power dynamic between him and Cal. Yes. Cal owned him all of season one. Nate, I don't know if I would... I mean, I guess he was scared of his dad. He's also his own version of Psycho, so he's not... (laughs) like living in fear he's kind of just like taking his fear and rerouting it into anger and rage towards other people but now in this season it is very clearly flipped and so nate uses his dad to try and get back at fez and then when fez is like i don't know what the fuck you're talking about with this disc you idiot get out of my house it's it's so humbling for cal cal is Cal's at rock bottom. He's thinking about killing himself. He's living in fear of his homemade movies getting distributed to his wife or who knows who else. And his son is just having sex all over the house, rubbing it in his face. Tough times. Tough times for the, the, the baddest man in town. For some reason, like, I feel like Cal kind of has like a reawakening at that moment. Like Fez humbles him, but also like, Let's him know, like, hey, man, like, the as bad as you think shit is, you probably need to get a grip on your life and just go, you know, like, handle your shit. I don't feel like Cal leaves that house wanting to kill himself anymore. Like, that's kind of the, the feeling I got. We'll see what he does, but I feel like now he can kind of redire- redirect his anger back at Nate or go through other means, but it's not like, I don't feel like he has the same level of despair after Ashtray whooped his ass. I feel like he knocks himself. But it's like, also... You fuck Jules too. Like, yo, like now he has a whole different conversation to have. Oh, oh, sorry. He did not. He He has a crush on. Yeah, he He hears that he hears that his son loves Jules, and now with another love triangle, B. (laughs) I told you these love triangles are gonna connect. We got a triangle of triangles. But yeah, did we did we talk about it last week where Nate was having these daydreams when he was in the hospital that he was having flashes of Jules? Jules was in there. Like, he still has something going on there. We, they haven't addressed it yet, but I'm, I'm so interested to see where this is going to take us. Well, I'm pretty sure in season one, we got a Rue voiceover. Nate is so in love with Jules when he was messaging her as the catfish yeah. narration. Tyler. So it, it, they keep telling us that Nate's in love with everyone. Good to be Nate, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> right. But can B, can you give me any insight into what's going on with him showing up at Maddie's house with flowers and leaving Cassie hanging? Is that just to stir up more drama? Ah, I wish I could tell you. This is so <laughs> fucked up. Like he he's just a massive manipulator. Yeah. But I mean, this could be him trying to get uh, possession of this disc back. Maybe he's trying to figure out what what's really happening here. Maybe he really doesn't give a fuck about uh, Maddie. He just really wants possession of this disc back. So Maybe. he can be, he can have all the power in his hands. Like, I have this. Everybody will be fucked up if they find out about this. Maybe he can't say no to Maddie because she's like blowing up his phone. It's not like, 
I don't know. I don't think that he's hitting her up all the time. Like it seemed like she was the one who was kind of pressed. So maybe he just can't yeah. say no to her, even though he likes smashing Cassie. Obviously, like the the Cassie thing is so weird because it's like the way they set it up, even in the show with her getting ready and getting dressed and him ignoring her through the week. But then it's like, then they meet and fuck on Fridays. It's like, you would think he would at least like give her a wink or something in the hallway. It's just kind of weird, like how they. No, that's power. That's a power, a power thing there. Like, hey, you can't say this because this girl is going to kill you if she finds out. Right. And here she is turning into a fucking Maddie clone, like a weirdo. (laughs) That was so funny. Yeah, that was great. When I saw the baby hairs, I was like, oh no. And then they did the face to face and it was so good. I was so pleased with that. Maddie's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Just got out of there, man. Yeah. No, and, and then the... Uh, but yeah, that's the whole thing. B's 100% right. Nate can't let Maddie know. Right. And Cassie also doesn't really want Maddie to know. So, so maybe, maybe that's his... That might be his other manipulatory way to, like, keep his rules up. Is like, oh, I can't be fucking your best friend because I'm still with you. Exactly. But him standing her up to go right. to Maddie's house is the part that I responded to more. Yeah. But this episode took us completely out of Nate POV, right? It's all Cassie POV yeah. and we're seeing it from her side. And look, I'm happy. really bad for her, man. I'm actually just happy that Cassie is showering and like taking care of her personal hygiene because goddamn, she was just like bloody and stinky and smelly and just disgusting, wiping her shit down in the bathroom. Girl, I'm just glad you have another routine intact. I don't care if you get up at four in the morning to put on your little clown makeup for this big clown that you, you know, trying to impress. I'm just glad you smell and you look good again. Right. Yeah, she was she was living kind of slovenly there for a second. B, there's a difference between exfoliating and exfoliating. All right. And Cassie is taking this a little too far. The scrubbing, the intense scrubbing shots, they were making me a little uncomfortable. It seemed like maybe she was pushing this a little too hard. Is there such thing as too much beauty? Yes. Yes, like there's only so much you can do in one day that's going to affect what your skin looks like in the morning or whatever. Like you sit here, you want to exfoliate all day. You're going to rub your skin raw and it's going to hurt to even put makeup on. You're going to get an infection. Like, yeah, she's doing too much. She's putting, like you said, she's putting on clown makeup. It's just like that meme where the guy's putting on clown makeup in the morning. He like throws it down. That's, that's Cassie in the morning. <laughs> Every morning. Yeah. Well, we got to discuss the other main plot. Rue is now a drug dealer, big time. But I can't. She's, uh, hopefully she won't run off on the plug. The plug uh, hooked her up with 10 racks worth of uh, stuff in a suitcase, which I don't know. I thought it was just like Coke or something, but like when she opened it, it looked like a a variety pack. Yeah, she went to Costco. She got all of the different chips. You know, she's packing lunches (laughs) for the week. Ruth's yeah. Kitchen, after all. Yeah, She's got to get kitchen. the variety pack. Oh, definitely. I uh, want to shout out the drug dealer lady. Her name's Martha Kelly, and she first came on my radar in the show called Baskets, which was Zach Galifianakis's sh- weird show where he played twins. But just her very muted kind of monotony yeah, and calmness. Yeah. But then she's yeah. like, yeah, I'll, I'll fucking sell you to slavery. I always get my money back. I'm like, yeah, no, I like this cinema technique of taking someone non-threatening and put, putting them in a threatening position. And I think it works yes. really well. Mm-hmm. Plus she's got a naked dude rolling around her place <laughs> just cause we need another dick guys. Come on. 
Exactly. Right. It's, it's Dick O'Clock. <laughs> right. He was the one who provided the nudity for us in the last episode, so why wouldn't he <laughs> give it to us again? Keep it going. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was just an interesting whole setup with Rue going to Fez, him turning her down. Hell the fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> You got me fucked up. No. Yeah. Hell he, but, the fuck no. And he but, gets you know, right through it. She, she, you know, she was in the, kind of in the conversation when that woman was telling, you know, what was asking about, like, who is this girl? You know, you bringing like children and teenagers around, like, who the fuck? But he was like, no, I trust her. And she asked, is she an addict? And he was like, no, nah, she might fuck around, but nah. Yeah. And so to this woman, she's like, oh, well, she's not an addict. And that's but the if biggest she doesn't problem. Give me my money, <laughs> she's gonna go to Fez. It's gonna come back to our boy Fez, the MVP, is gonna have to clean up another mess that's not his. Right. But did her plan make any what was she talking about? I don't know. She wanted she was musing about three girls becoming drug runners and using them using their information on their phone to blackmail them if they didn't run the drugs i don't i didn't really understand. she made up two other people and also lied about her own grades right yeah, yeah no she made up three other people Janie, laney and somebody else i didn't understand the plan or why the drug dealer lady thought it was a good plan it sounded like gibberish and <laughs> i feel like maybe she just had a soft spot for rue and she wanted to give her a chance that that was really the only sense i could make out of it and because as somebody who sells drugs, she has to know that this person is obviously doesn't know what they're doing and is probably an addict trying to score. But she looked like she was just, you know, too uh, ingratiated in the comforts of her massage chair to really care about the it. Slow <laughs> lift. Love that slow lift. That's yeah. good filmmaking right there. Yeah. Obviously, this is a setup for a terrible situation. I mean, the situation has already gotten terrible by the end of the episode. I mean, it went from, you know, very bad to extremely bad to like just off the deep end bad. I mean, her conversation with Ali like broke my heart, you know. Um, Bruh. Oh I, my God. I I love, you know, again, Coleman Domingo bringing the heat. Yeah, that interaction, he's just trying to say what's up to her and have a conversation and she doesn't want to be bothered. For one, why would she bring the drug suitcase to her? In a meeting in the first place. Dressed like that. She brought narcotics to a narcotics anonymous meeting. I thought that she was going to sell to all of them at first. I was like, it's the only, it's the only clients that she can come up with. They're recovering right. addicts. Yep. I thought so. I had a, was like, wait, this girl is really bold as fuck. But I was like, okay, Ali's there. So it ain't going down like that. Because yeah, he's like the only person who's going to really hold her accountable. Yeah, she wasn't trying to be held to anything. She didn't even want to chit-chat. She didn't want to shoot the shit. She wanted to get the fuck out of there. But yeah, you also walked into an NA meeting with your sponsor with a fucking uh, suit on and a briefcase that's obviously full of some sort of illegal substances. So you're going to get checked. Like, you I, know? I really thought that suitcase was going to like break open. Every time he grabbed it, he would like move it or do something or shake it or whatever the fuck. I was yeah. like, this shit is about to burst open and all hell's about to break loose. But of course, you know, yeah. Rue is like really stressing me the fuck out. She is really trying to kill herself or get killed. Yeah. And like, you know, throughout the lightheartedness of the slideshow presentation, like we got one of the most dramatic moments in the show, mm -hmm. her and her sister going yeah. back and forth. And it was just really sad and heartbreaking to watch. Like, I mean, great acting by her and Storm Reed. 
But yeah, I'm sitting there watching it like, damn, that's fucked up. You're just like out and out lying. And not only are you lying, you're not even trying to stay on the right path. You're driving 100 miles an hour off the fucking cliff. So maybe she's not doing the big H yet. We that's keep what it seeing her like open to me. This, this tin. But she's, she's doing getting all, <laughs> right? Like a fucking fruit roll up. Like, what was <laughs> like, that? At the end of the episode. So it's like, yeah, okay, maybe she didn't do heroin, but it's like you're doing the number one drug that can kill you. And yeah, there's a bigger, badder dragon in town now. And it's name is Fentanyl. Yeah. She's doing the Fenty. <sighs> she, yeah, she pushes away Fenty. her sister. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Fenty <Ray>. Savage. <laughs> Sorry, it's just it came to me. She pushes away her sister, who's the only person who checks her on the whole "oh, I'm just smoking weed again" thing. Mm-hmm. She pushes away her sponsor, who is the only person who keeps it real with her. And the way she does it is fucking savage. Yeah. Talking about the conversation from the diner, talking about his family his inadequacy as a father. And then he even gives her the opportunities. Like now think about what you're about to do before you do this. She looks him right in the eyes and she tells him to fuck off. So $10,000 suitcase full of drugs going straight up her nose and in her arm and all of the above. And it's absolutely not going to end well. Cause even if she was going to sell it, which she's not, <laughs> Guess what? That's the other person that gives a shit about her is Fez. Now you're just trying to steal business from him. Like he's going to lose his mind when he finds that out. So yeah, bad path that she's on. Not good. And she's going to lose Jules to Elliot. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe the only person she could sell the drugs to is Elliot. They'll just do them all. Like what (laughs) is she just going to take all of his his, his stem money? Yeah. I can't, I can't think of a, what is her end game with this other than doing $10,000 worth of drugs, which is going to kill her? Like that was her whole plan. That was what she was saying at the beginning was like, I'm tired of scraping together money. I'm going to get free drugs. Yeah. So do you guys think that the kidnapping scenario is going to play out? No, someone will intervene. It's going to be Fez. It's going to be Fez because I think B was saying, you know, like he's the one who vouched for her Mm -hmm. in the first episode. Mm -hmm. And the reason that she even got in the door and was able to sit down with this woman is because Fez made it happen. Right. What a life Fez lives. He had no choice in any of this shit. Mm-mm. And here he is, like, having people just dumping their shit all on him. He's the realest parent on the show. <laughs> he might be. He's taking care of uh, Ashtray, Faye, Rue. I mean, shit. He has a boarding house at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. A boy's home. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, With Faye. Cal- <laughs> yeah, right, right. With Faye uh, as the innkeeper. And Cal is actually one of the boys that he took care of. <laughs> yeah. If you put it that way, yeah. Um, so Crystal I'm ball really, time. Yeah, I, I need to get this out of me. <laughs> because a lot of people were really upset that we didn't get Fez and Lexi together. But I think there's a huge reason why Lexi's doing her thing with the play. She's focused on that. We get to understand her a little bit more and why she's doing this. But then we got Fez over here collecting some really good information. He didn't Mm. ask for it, but he's getting information. So this is what I think is going to happen. Lexi is about to air everybody's shit out in her play. And Mm. the reason I think so is because at some point, 
her and Fed's going to have some sort of pillow talk and they're going to share information like, yeah, oh, Cal came to your house and was asking you about X, Y, and Z. When she finally says like, oh, I know who this man is or whatever. He's like, he came to my house too. He tried, you know, some bullshit. He ended up leaving. But before he left, he said these things. And Lexi's going to be like, what the fuck is happening? She might put this in her play and play it out for the whole euphoria high to learn about. <laughs> right. Do, do we think that uh, Lex is going to tell Cassie once she finds out about Cassie and Nate about Nate and how he feels about Jewel or, you know, any of that situation? Possibly. I mean, <laughs> Fez knows a lot. Yeah, He knows yeah. a lot. He didn't ask for none of that weird shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but now he knows it. I just really think that Lexi and Fez are just going to have a conversation and it's just going to teach them so much about what's really happening. And this may even be a way for Fez to figure out how to get this drug situation with Rue fixed. Right. By possibly putting everything on Cal or Nate right, as right. blackmail because right. Lexi's sister and her best friend know about Nate and how he likes Jewel. <laughs> Jewel. And, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how this disc is going to resurface. Right. But, but yeah, the disc is definitely going to hit the streets at some point. Um, let's talk about a little bit about the music from this episode. <laughs> Hope you guys like NXS. <laughs> I was gonna say a healthy dose of NXS. Uh, that scene in the and was that a gay bar that they were at? I think so. Yeah, and so yeah, we had the NXS to start. What was the other band when Cal was driving? Uh, Ministry. When Cal was driving and Rue passes him on the bike, her and her and Jules are riding bikes, and she sees him, and he's he's bumping some Ministry in the car, and he gets a little embarrassed and and peels off a little bit. <laughs> But first of all, every driving scene in this show just makes me so nervous. They show they show young Cal just driving his Jeep like a fucking maniac. In the rain? Yeah. Like, yo, and you guys parking are... in the rain? I was that's gonna be a swimming pool by the time they're out of that bar. <laughs> and even like before that, we see young Cal during the daytime, like He's going around people at stop signs and just like flying. Like, yo, what is wrong with y'all? Yeah, almost every driving scene. Because even with uh, Elliot and Jules hops out the car, takes a piss, and then somebody comes. And that could have been some shit. You never know. Every time they get in the car, it's, it's wild. Every single time. But, but yeah, yeah. It, it was it was definitely a gay bar. And I was really <laughs> interested. Like, I, I love seeing, like, the jukebox. It was so nostalgic. The, mm-hmm. the um the cinematography and the lighting and everything that they provided in that scene at the bar, I just thought was super dope. The guys with the super 90s haircuts and it was just a a great, kind of like a love letter to the 90s. It reminded me a lot of the scene from Moonlight. I don't know if you guys seen Moonlight. I haven't seen it all, but Uh, yeah. Uh, Towards the end, um, basically Trevante Rhodes and I forget the name of the other actor. They like rekindle whatever, mm-hmm. and he's a cook at a, a restaurant, and there's a um, Aretha Franklin song playing on the jukebox, and it kind of has a similar mood to it. They're not uh, drinking, but it's a similar, like kind of longing for each other, vibing to the song, and it's connecting them. But yeah, that was that was a cool little moment. But the the music cues in the in the episode they weren't as as rapid. I feel like as they were in the last episode, um, but we had. We had a few significant. The opening was, it was 
because it was kind of a montage for a lot yeah. of it. Yeah. It was like seven or eight songs in a row. It oh, was yeah, crazy. No, yeah, the cow, the cow outset. We got a lot in the cow short. And uh, then the the. I mean, there's so many, which is the thing. That's just the thing about this show. I w- I just was curious, so I went and looked up the soundtrack on Spotify. We're only four episodes in, but we're at 68 songs <laughs> yeah. oh at my least. God. If, yeah. And that's probably not everything. But when when Rue gets the backpack and she's riding on the bike to West Side Connection, that was that was a nice track. Nice yeah. needle drop there. That was a funny one. <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite one. So, wait, does anybody else have any prediction? I mean, I in terms of the play, at least what they said in this episode was like, it's going to be about her, Lexi, mm. and being in the shadow of Cassie. So I do think there will be some tea spilled, but I think it's more likely to be a Cassie, Maddie, Nate drama filled expose but honestly aren't are they even gonna go like they're gonna be too busy fucking somewhere to to (laughs) show up to the school play i hope that we get to learn something about ethan he's the star of the play allegedly we need a cat and ethan episode to get a little more into their story because i would say that's been the most backburnered of everything so far so that's that's what i want to see i want to see a little bit more about ethan and the play yeah i'm definitely interested in the play I think uh, maybe not all the characters are, like you said. I think the Jules and Elliot thing is going to materialize in, a, in an interesting way. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so, yeah, I would say look out for that. And I think they're going to string along the, the Cassie and um, Maddie thing to the end of the season. I, they haven't told, found out about each other now. What, what's the reason for them to blow that up in episode five? They're just going to string that out to the end of the season and Yeah, you got to remember with these high school shows, man, is that they drag this drama out to the very last degree. They want everything to marinate and simmer in the kitchen for as long as possible before they plate it and serve it to us. Yeah, I used to watch the OC. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. This feels a little bit like that. You know, if there was one show that I could compare this show to, probably be the OC. Uh, which yeah, is when great- Ashtray hit Cal in the face, and should have said, "Welcome to Euphoria, bitch." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's just the the classic, the classic go to catchphrase. Anytime you're in Orange County, now you know you can always drop that one. But we'll be back in the kitchen next week. We'll gaze into B's crystal ball. We'll talk about all of our love triangles, and from my and- personal podcast triangle, Jason oh. Madison, <laughs> Bethany Anderson. I'm Anthony Mays. See you next time in the kitchen.